Good morning. Welcome backwards to Bodhi Speak. So, I had actually recorded the content for this episode, but managed to delete it as soon as I finished it. So that was a fun experience. Nonetheless, if you are actively studying Stoic philosophy, and then you manage to damage everything related to your the fruits of your labor... Uh, if you do anything other than approach it from like a very balanced and calm perspective, then you know that the entire project was a complete waste of time. <laughs> We're understanding like it's not really about what we accomplish or what we create or the final product or anything related to pleasing the outside world, gaining approval, having people be able to go, oh my, wow how wonderful of a podcast that was or you know whatever the thing is and just instead being like okay like the benefit was i got to sit here and contemplate philosophical wisdom to lead to a state of freedom and equanimity for several hours and the uh externalization of the whole process is really just like a secondary thing the the primary thing that we're trying to focus on is activating the inner world in gaining an internal composure from the whole process and so it's not an intellectual game it's not meant to be uh like a look at me situation it's not meant to be something to like bring in money or views or likes or anything like that the point of like philosophy in a lot of ways and i think what always attracted me to it like back in the day when i took a class when i was in high school uh, and I was like 16, took a philosophy class, and I was like, this stuff is awesome. Because I, I, what I always liked about it is that as being a, a true anarchist in heart in many ways, it's a it's a philosophy of like rejection of like the social norm. It's a it's a it's like a rebellion in a lot of ways against the mass mindset, against conformity, against what's socially acceptable at the time, and a recognition that. There's a lot more going on and that we don't need to follow these ignorant fools. And instead, you know, we can carve our own path and find our own unique expression and individuality and connection to life. But at the same time, right, that there are these universal laws that we have to function in the way, so to speak, and that there is a deep study of the way that leads to true freedom and like this idea of freedom and it's funny because like in the united states right people are just like oh we love being free <laughs> freedom yeah like this whole thing it's a really funny way but it's like i'm just reflecting back on that really famous quote from easy rider i think jack nicholson says it to dennis hopper or something like that where he's like it's like yeah they tell you that they love freedom but when they see a free individual, that really scares them. <laughs> and then, you know, later on, I think that they're, I think they're murdered, right, by those guys at, at the end of the film. It's a really sad experience. And, you know, that whole thing with the death of the, of the hippie dream that freedom is is to be found in LSD tabs and rock and roll music and you know, so on and so forth. And instead, I prefer the philosophy of the Stoics, which is more like a a hard-nosed, gritty look at oneself that freedom is to be found through relentless inner 
searching and an honest critique of oneself and discipline. The discipline is not meant to enslave you. As they say, the discipline is there to set you free. So it is a, a discipline of one's character. And coming back again to this quote from Meister Manuel Rufino that uh, control of one's character leads you to destiny and a failure to control one's character is karma reinforced. And this idea that it's how do you make decisions under pressure? How do you deal with adversity? Does adversity reveal that you have like a heroic character, a capacity to endure suffering and pain and misfortune and, you know, alchemicalize, if that's a word, <laughs> alchemize, I don't know how to say it. Take that negativity, whatever the adversity is, and, you know, swallow that bitter medicine and churn it out into something that becomes extraordinarily positive. And talking about the famous, one of these modern-day Stoics, John Stockdale, Vietnam pilot, shot down over Vietnam. And as he's falling to the jungle, about to be captured by the Viet Cong, he says... I am leaving the world of technology and I'm entering the world of Epictetus. Epictetus being the very famous Stoic slave whose work becomes so famous that Marcus Aurelius studies it himself later on. And uh, here we are thousands of years later talking about him. And this idea, he says, John Stockdale, that how can I take what awaits me, torture, potentially murder, death, you know, the, the most miserable conditions many years he was there for seven years and take into an experience where i will say not only was this something i needed but it was the one of the best things that ever happened to me and that's like true practice of the philosophy right it's not about sitting in a little isolated corner of the world where it's very peaceful which is for the record kind of what i'm doing at this moment <laughs> i have a really really wonderful studio here in the forest although i am surrounded by a lot of people in many chaotic crazy situations so it's not a totally perfectly hermetically sealed environment nonetheless the practice right has nothing to do with just thinking about stuff and talking about something onto a podcast it's about we have to actualize and live these things and we only will really know for doing it if we are deeply challenged and it's interesting right because on some level, a lot of teachers, like a lot from many different traditions, I've seen from Buddhist traditions, you know, people like Eckhart Tolle, you know, people from the shamanic traditions, people like Pema Chodron, I've heard them all talk about these things where when you're confronted with an extreme level of adversity, sometimes it's actually easier to show up as like a noble, heroic person with like a beautiful expression of stoic values. And that's kind of what I've talked about in this podcast in the past with Viktor Frankl in Auschwitz. You know, people in the concentration camps, you know, they had virtually nothing, right? But they're like, they're willing to give the last bit of bread to their uh, their, their, their inmate because out of this deep sense of compassion and sense of like wanting to help another person and recognizing like that the last bit of freedom and choice they have is to decide what to do in these horrible circumstances and choosing not to succumb to like the decrepitness around them but be like no i'm gonna still gonna live with a noble life in the sense 
but sometimes how it's actually easier to deal with extreme adversity and show up in a good way than it is to, you know, act in this noble, heroic, stoic way when something happens like someone interrupts you and, you know, speaks to you in a condescending tone or like the power goes out when you're trying to watch a movie or you run out of gasoline or like someone uh something trivial happens we can think of all kinds of trivial things happen you break your favorite glass like oh my god (laughs) or you're stuck in traffic see how stoic you are if you're stuck in traffic it's kind of like those are these are like the two uh benchmarks like extreme suffering and then stuffing traffic because it's almost like these mildly irritating things that are just like monotonous and incessant and you know will never really go away on some level their energy will only be displaced to another activity perhaps that's when you really find like it's so difficult to be patient to be like equanimous to be detached to be in a place of balance that's when you're really just like i'm fed up with this (laughs) i'm done i quit (laughs) but then you know there's other moments when you have like an adversary one can think perhaps of unjust government tyrannical government how you're like the sense to rise to the occasion you know it it the the force of the thing coming from the outside is such a malignant thing that you have to rise to the occasion and there's a sense of like no i must but when it's something that's just kind of ordinary and you know it's never really going to go away you know traffic's always going to be there even if we transcend cars there'll be space traffic and digital traffic and all foot traffic every kind of traffic you can think of and you're going to get irritated about it there's not a sense of like i must rise to the occasion while i'm sitting here alone in my car and not curse these circumstances. <laughs> but I'm pointing this out because if you can muster the consciousness and awareness to do that, that's a powerful thing. To become peaceful, equanimous, and stoic, and non-reactive in ordinary circumstances, in boring circumstances. It's like, wow. <laughs> That is an indication that I think you're really growing on the practice. So this is an important thing to get at is that what makes this something worth investing your time and energy and focus into is being able to see that it's helping you grow as a person. And the way that you can see growth and development is, I would say in a lot of ways, by the degree of peace that and detachment and acceptance that you can bring into your life in those ordinary circumstances specifically daily that's a really good indication that you are appropriately digesting the material and i definitely was like happy that i uh was able to be like okay well there goes two and a half hours of an entire podcast just completely thrown down the toilet I guess I'll just do it again. All right. That's okay. No problem. And that's definitely not to say that I haven't lost my cool many times. So there's moments where you take one step forward and take two steps back, and that's a confusing process. But nonetheless, as we'll get to, there's a quote. I remember because I've already done this passage. 
where he talks about, I think, like, we're not trying to, we're, maybe we're looking for perfection, but we know it's not possible. Like, come on. It, it's so like, yeah, you take two steps back, like, great, welcome to the club. You're working on, like, letting go of shame and misery and trying to find self-love, and you're like, wow, I'm, I'm such a mess. Welcome to the club. That's what all of us are doing. And some of us maybe have been working on it long enough where, like, we actually don't feel that way about ourselves anymore. Nonetheless, those feelings might still arise, even long into the situation and all the work that you've been doing. So the practice in the skill of patience, an important value in Stoicism, Stoicism, right, being about aligning ourselves in a harmonious way with what is natural, connecting to nature, and applying virtues to our life and trying to allow our higher nature, our intuitive, spiritual, compassionate, humanistic nature to take center stage as opposed to our instinctual, impulsive, emotional, reactive nature. And to deal with the conflict of those two things, much like what the Bhagavad Gita talks about, where there's strife and conflict between the two. And how can we muster up the courage, being one of the main virtues of Stoicism, to actually walk the walk of this path? And it's supposed to be challenging. That's why the Stoic approach is through discipline. Because it's only through discipline and discomfort and stripping away all of that is artificial about us that we're able to be in a place where we're going to have the fortitude and the willpower to say no to certain aspects of ourselves that arise and to endure things that are outside of our control and that provide us with no other choice but to simply endure with the correct perspective, right? Viktor Frankl coming back said that if you give a man a why as to the cause and the reason for the suffering, then they can endure any type of suffering. A why, a meaning, a purpose behind it, something that will give you, a, I don't want to say hope because I really don't like that word. I think hope is in a very, in a lot of ways, like misleading, almost immature, illusionary word. But a word, right? I could say abandon hope, but have faith. Have faith. And um, this perspective that we can have a meaning behind why we are enduring things. The idea that this difficulty situation, while you're going through it, you're going through it for the benefit of other people. That you're going through it so that the cycle of perhaps an abusive situation ends at you. And I've heard it said like this is a time where a lot of people are accessing like healing and this is like the healing generation that's coming forward and that means like a lot of us are going through things diff difficult things trying things but they're things that ultimately will end with us that we are saying enough is enough like i will not perpetuate the abuses that have been put forth on me and then right there you have tremendous amount of power motivation meaning and drive to move forward in the world with a clear mission like what happened to me 
what others did to me, I will not bring forward to others. I will transform and transmute those things and create light where before there was darkness. And so this is and this is also very much like why stoicism would be a very beneficial practice because stoicism is all about like how do you keep calm how do you keep cool how do you keep relaxed how do you access and penetrate the depth of the situation and just let what's on the surface be as it is so without at the same time being apathetic Right, because we're coming back to Stoic people are people that are in all aspects, levels of society, from slavery to monarchy. And before we kind of continue into the text here, I just want to share when I recorded this initially, uh, there had been crazy wildfires in Canada. I'm guessing they're still there. I've not checked the news recently, but for whatever reason, the smoke is no longer here in New York. The smoke in New York became the worst smoke. I'm sorry, the worst air quality pollution air quality index in the entire world in New York City. I live two hours north of New York City. Interesting, too, because I was in uh, Seattle last year, and when I got to Seattle, I was like, where am I, Cairo right now? What the hell is going on? And that's because the wildfires there had made Seattle at that time the worst air quality in the entire world, worse than Jakarta and Delhi and Beijing and so on and so forth. And uh, just an important thing as we're talking about, right, stoicism, connection, harmony with nature. What does it mean? When we can no longer go outside and breathe the air, we can't drink the water, you can't eat the food, what is happening? There must be... Nature is trying to tell us something, right? This is a very dire situation. And from a human level, right? We're just focusing on a human level. We don't need to get all cosmic about everything, like, you know, infinity and all that. But just focusing on... on a, from a human perspective, this is a crisis, like, oh, I'll just put on a mask. No big deal. <laughs> it's like, no, you're missing. It's like putting on a Band-Aid on your cancer. It's like there's there's a big situation that's happening here. So my hope is like that the stoic perspective can, when spread correctly and, and activated and actualized correctly, can help on some level perhaps lead to the uh, restoration of the ecology. That would make me feel very happy. Because it is about alignment with nature and like doing, quote unquote, the right thing and, and balance. And one other thing to share before we get in the text is we went to go see Alex Gray's Entheon, the uh, new display in Wappinger Falls in about an hour from where I live where they have all of Alex Gray's like psychedelic paintings and everything. And uh, super fascinating place. Highly recommend going. And there is a lot of thematic aspects of Alex's work of the, like, dark, decrepit, almost like satanic forces of the human experience. But then also, like, the redemptive, transcendental aspects of the human spirit in relationship to those forces. So you see in a lot of his paintings, uh, like these, you know, people are very, when they think of Alex Gray, if they're familiar you see a lot of like, you know, psychedelic imagery of like transcendence and heart opening and things that relate to like love and infinity and, you know, like the vast mystery of the cosmos. But what's what's interesting too is when you look in like the corner or like the side of a lot of those paintings, you see this like dark little things, like a, a demonic thing or, 
you know, all kinds of bizarre, like sexual, strange imagery and stuff like that. Because he's he really adds in like the full encompassment of the human experience in his artwork, which is awesome, and I think it's fantastic and fully support that. I don't like when people whitewash things. Uh, there's a time and place for things, but like he's trying to like give you the full crux of the human experience so it's like it's not limited to just oh love and light because that's ultimately is just like one side of the coin right and uh there's this idea though that even through like the degradation and the violence and atrocity and genocide of each other of the earth of animals of plants within all that and in spite of all that there is still something redemptive and magical and transcendental that's happening and he has a couple of these paintings one of them i'm thinking of is the cosmic christ where he has little snippets that compile this psychedelic image of jesus or something like that and in the snippets are little moments of human history from it's like the biblical times perhaps is where it starts and then it you know goes all the way up to like uh tech modern day technology and like what i was perceiving as i'm looking at this is there's this sense that we are moving into this like crescendo of a point that I think Terrence McKenna talked about it, a good friend of Alex Gray. Something like time wave zero, there's like there's a moment where it's like the novelty and complexity technologically, but also in terms of just human consciousness reaches a certain point of like just utter amazement where the world as we know it is just completely obliterated into this like experience that we can't even comprehend at this moment and if you're looking at the cosmic christ you're seeing these quantum leaps right because for instance when the computer was built the first computer i think it was at mit and it was like the size of you know uh two uh, a big basement in a house one computer it had the computing power let's say of like 500 random number and nowadays everyone has a computer that's like twenty thousand times smaller it fits in their pocket and it's like a hundred thousand times more powerful and everyone on earth has one as opposed to they're just being you know one and so we're kind of just witnessing through technology this mass externalization of our interconnectivity and spread of information and just a shattering of illusion that we are separate and that we are separate not just from each other but also from the earth and nature and so on and so it's cool to go see Alex's work because he's like representing like, yeah, there's something really dark and, you know, just demonic and within human beings that make them act a certain way when left unchecked, when the stoic perspective is not properly digested and integrated into action. But through psychedelic medicine, through spiritual devotion, through compassion, through proper relationship and love, it talks in his artwork, not talks, but depicts a lot of like, you know, mother, child, uh, father, mother relationship, and, and just the process of like how childbirth is a transcendental divine act of God in a lot of ways. And what's great though is just how he's showing like, yeah, there is something redemptive and transcendental that's happening. And it's not just like random. You can look at like what's happening in this process of evolution. Uh, which technology is incorporated into. Nonetheless, it requires us to be in harmony with nature. So, if we just rampantly allow technology to go whatever direction it wants, it's hard to kind of say that 
that's really in alignment. But I don't know too much. These are all just my my musings as they arise. The place is fantastic. I recommend you go. It's a very deep meditation. I'm just trying to understand who you are and what's happening around you and that things aren't coincidences and there's something much deeper that's moving under the surface that is weaving everything together. So the first quote that we're going to go to from the Daily Stoic is from Seneca, from a play he wrote, Thyestes, I think. And it's a conversation between two guys, Thyestes and another one, Artreus. And I think Artreus is the right pronunciation. <laughs> and he says here, Artreus in conversation with Thyestes, Who would reject the flood of fortune's gifts? Thyestes, anyone who has experienced how easily they flow back. And I think a simple way to put this is that karma will crush you. <laughs> and uh, some things are better left, not taken, not disturbed. It kind of makes me think of that scene in Pan's Labyrinth where the, the Pan god, whatever, tells the girl, don't take that anything off the table. Just go get the one thing for me. But because she succumbs to human... I don't know what the fallacy of something like that, human uh, human error. I don't know. There's a specific word I'm looking for. But because she succumbs to that, she grabs the fruit, and then this horrific creature is awoken that has eyeballs in its hands and just like a huge, you know, ferocious mouth. And it's this whole idea of just like how desire, you know, you take something, and then all of a sudden you've awoken. And right, you can look at it like, when you take one thing, you need to take another thing. It's never enough. It's just like the dopamine system. It's craving. It's like, oh, here is this wonderful drug that you can try. And it's going to make you feel really good. And then you take it and then you just can't let go of it. And there's many things like that, perhaps that are not even so decrepit and dangerous as drugs, such as perhaps just like the wonderful modern marvel of industrialization. It's so wonderful. We can make whatever we want. It's great. We can have everything we want. Is there any downside? Yeah. You can't breathe air anymore. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, you know, we might want to reject that. That might be something to reject the flood of fortune gifts. And I like this quote from the Grateful Dead where they say, when life looks like easy street, trouble is at your door. And that's kind of what it comes to me is like, you know, uh, not low-hanging fruit specifically, but just like the path of least resistance. It looks like it's going to lead to something that's beneficial, but soon you're going to find yourself drowning in your own desires and your own misery. So having the discipline of self-restraint, of taming your passions, of just recognizing that to do things the right way, a.k.a. the hard way, in alignment and integrity might be something that would be more beneficial. Fortune's gifts. Not just taking, but giving. So if fortune's gifts come your way, making sure that you appropriately distribute them. That's another thing that kind of comes to me with this. It's like, to be generous. Okay. Marcus Aurelius. Don't act grudgingly, selfishly, without due diligence. Or to be a contrarian, don't overdress your thought in fine language. 
don't be a person of too many words and too many deeds. So I'm going to stop it there. There's a little bit more of the quote. We'll go with that first. Don't overdress your thought in fine language. That's a very good thing to unlearn. I, it's fine to use fine language to some degree, but don't overdo it, is what he's saying. Want things If you can't simply explain something, then you don't quite understand it. And trying to impress everything, trying to make everything fancy presentation keep things down to earth don't be a word of too don't be a person of too many words and too many deeds well obviously i'm a complete failure of this as i have a podcast <laughs> but nonetheless i'm a work in progress we'll know that i have achieved full actualization of my stoicism when my podcast has been totally deleted <laughs> but you know joking aside the idea of like you ever talk to people and it's like the person doesn't shut up <laughs> they just keep talking they keep talking and uh you just start to realize like yeah we all love the sound of our own voice but maybe there's a right time and place for instance you're occupying all of my focus and attention and you're just running in circles if you want to run in circles start a podcast that way if people want to listen to you they can just tune turn it on and they can turn it off whenever they want they're not uh compelled to bear witness to your lack of awareness and uh, I've definitely been guilty of doing this in person too don't get me wrong <laughs> so uh, understanding like the, the value of silence maybe on some level don't act selfishly I think that one speaks for itself don't act grudgingly don't be contrarian don't be an automatic rebel someone that just needs to go against things Rebellion is very valuable and beneficial at the right time and place, and it is a right action at some moment, but if that is your automatic stance, you know, then you can't really be, have any meaningful communication with you. To further continue, Marcus Aurelius's quote, Be cheerful, not wanting outside help or the relief others might bring. A person needs to stand on their own, not be propped up. I think it's possible that Marcus Aurelius is actually just a burner. <laughs> it kind of comes to me, I'm just thinking about Burning Man, the idea of uh, self-reliance, radical self-reliance, right? The idea of that there is the capacity for you to be a fully activated and empowered adult. You don't need to constantly conform and yield and rely on the outside we all have an interdependency and in certain moments complete dependency i mean i can't walk right now i'm on crutches i am very limited so you know we all rely on each other in many ways but as much as possible as we can activate our own capacity just to be self-reliant and provider for others one that can be a source of strength for others and be a benefit to others very very important thing and uh ryan holiday has his title for this quote less is more that is an important meditation one could say for what's happening in modern industrialization if only we could have that as the uh, motto and not never-ending growth we might be in a place where we could enjoy the oxygen a little bit more seneca Believe me, it's better to produce the balance sheet of your own life than that of the grain market. Your orientation and focus, he is telling us, 
needs to be inwards. We need to find value and meaning and purpose through what's happening in our inner life. The outer life is just there to help us inform it. So something like art can be a fantastic study because it turns the mind back in on itself. But if the mind is constantly just focusing on things that it wants outside of itself and is oriented in that direction, we will find ourselves fairly unhappy. So take it from him. Just follow the spreadsheet of your inner life. Seneca. Nothing will ever befall me that I will receive with gloom or a bad disposition. I will pay my taxes gladly. Now, all the things from which cause complaint or dread are like the taxes of life. Things from which, my dear Lucilius, you should never hope for exemption or seek escape. I see this as he's saying that it's important to give. Don't just take. More important to give than it is to take. So understanding that contributions and generosity and orienting your flow in that direction is essential. And we're not seeking to be free from that. That's not freedom. Freedom isn't being covetous and possessive and, and just clinging. They say that the first chakra is guarded by a dragon. And the dragon in mythology, it just guards gold and like a princess or something like that it's just it's just possessive and it's like why what is a dragon gonna do with gold like what what the hell is a dragon gonna go by like it's just there's or, or or like a princess like what is a dragon gonna do with that nothing it just wants to possess it's mindless and so that's not freedom that's that's clinging to life that's being in a place where you're stuck with yourself and that's hellish so understanding you know you unblock and slay the, you unblock yourself by slaying the dragon through acts of generosity and giving. Marcus Aurelius, pay close attention in conversation to what is being said, and to what follows from any action. In the action, <laughs> immediately look for the target. In words, listen closely to what's being signaled. So, just understanding that there's always things that are being said, and then there's other things that are being said. Read between the lines. My experience working with different indigenous elders and medicine people and so on is that a lot of times you can't say explicitly what you want people to convey or to receive from listening to you you have to speak a little bit more metaphorically a little bit more allegorically and have to speak a little bit more like in mystery and if we can focus in that space and what is it that they are alluding towards then we can start to step into a place where we can inhabit their consciousness for a period of time and not just be automatically responding to content itself like that phrase you're looking at my finger, but I'm pointing at the moon. How can we connect a little bit more to the moon? Marcus Aurelius. Do away with the opinion I am harmed, and the harm is cast away too. Do away with being harmed, and harm disappears. So, our power, right, it lies in 
our perception of what happens to us and our defining of what something means. We could be shot down over Vietnam like John Stockdale and say, this is going to be the worst, most dramatic thing of all time. Or we can say, we are now entering into the world of Epictetus to be challenged, to activate our capacity to find meaning, purpose, and value through this experience, regardless of what I will be forced to endure or face. So just understanding that it's up to us to interpret what external events mean. Even things that are horrific, like being a prisoner of war, it's up to us. It's up to you. You have the freedom. And like, for some people, this is liberating because you're like, wow, how empowering. I get to choose what this means. I get to make the decision about how this will impact me and what actions will follow. And then there's other people who are like, if they're, open to it but they might be along the lines of like it's frightening and resistant and it's we've we've clinged so deeply to the level of being a victim of circumstances that to step into a place of actual freedom of expression is just in itself too daunting so be willing to dare to push boundaries and to say wait a minute why have these words from people like Marcus Aurelius or Epictetus and so on, remain for thousands of years. What truth is it that's been coming through here? And how can I act upon it to figure out what it is exactly that they are saying? Epictetus. What is bad luck? Opinion. What are conflict, dispute, blame, accusation, irreverence, and frivolity? Frivolity. They are all opinions, and more than that, they are the opinions that lie outside of our own reason choice, presented as if they were good or evil. Let a person shift their opinions only to what belongs in the field of their own choice, and I guarantee that person will have a peace of mind, whatever is happening around them. This is a further extension of what Marcus Aurelius is talking about, this idea that, like, your power and your to interpret and decide what everything means lies within. Bad luck, that's just an opinion. You can flip it on its head. You can find the silver lining, flip the script, and understand that like maybe it's actually the best thing that ever happened to you, that everything burned down around you and you hit rock bottom. Maybe now there's something that is going to be profoundly opportunistic that will arise. Can you just keep that meditation in your mind that like just because it looks a certain way can we read between the lines of what's happening in life life is always talking to us but are we looking at it literally i hurt my leg i can't walk this is the worst thing that ever happened <laughs> or can i read between the lines there's an opportunity for here through this limitation for me to grow in another direction that maybe i was missing before Epictetus says, we must discover the missing art of ascent and pay special attention to the sphere of our impulses, that they are subject to reservation to the common good and they are in proposition to actual worth. This was a quote by Marcus Aurelius referring to Epictetus, by the way. And he's saying, right, the missing art of ascent 
pay special attention to the sphere of our impulses. Understanding that is our instinct subject to the reservation to the common good? Are we benefiting people? Are we holding ourselves back to understand like there's a larger force and population that we are impacting through our actions? Can we restrain ourselves to see, wait a minute, if I go do X, Y, and Z, it's going to impact people in such a way. I need to really think about that. And I think we all can reflect on moments in our life when we did not do that appropriately. So understanding the wisdom of surrender and serving the common good. Checking our impulses. Marcus Aurelius. Here's a way to think about what the masses regard as being good things. If you would first start by setting your mind upon things that are unquestionably good, wisdom, self-control, justice, courage, with this preconception, you'll no longer be able to listen to the popular refrain that there are too many good things to experience in a lifetime. <laughs> so the way I'm interpreting this is that most people are oriented towards the wrong goals. Look at all those good things out there. There's too many good things out there. There's infinite good things. Endless good things. I must have them all. <laughs> and you say, no, 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 no. You don't want to do that. Ignore that perspective. You just want to have the unquestionably good. Wisdom, self-control, justice, courage. With that is enough. Everything else is a distraction in orienting ourselves towards those four values. So orient yourself towards those four values. Do not get distracted by the veil of 10,000 things or whatever they want to call it in those fancy books. Epictetus. When you let your attention slide for a bit, don't think you will get back a grip on it whenever you wish. Instead, bear in mind that because of today's mistake, everything that follows will be necessarily worse. Is it possible to be free from error? Not by any means. But is possible to be a person always stretching to avoid error? For we must be content to at least escape a few mistakes by never letting our attention slide. And I've heard it said, right, that like the Buddhist path is like you want to be like uncomfortably, perpetually vigilant. Because there's always an aspect of yourself that wants to bubble up that just thinks it's totally justifiable to throw a lamp across the living room at somebody. <laughs> so understanding that, like, hey, it's not possible to never make a mistake. You're probably going to throw a lamp across the room at least once. Otherwise, you wouldn't be a human being. But it is possible to be a person always stretching to avoid making that mistake constantly be striving to be like I'm going to curtail that I'm going to push back against that I'm going to really like meditate as much as possible to restrain myself from that kind of action and if you do understand like you know it's going to be one step forward two steps back because it's never just one step back it's always usually at least two to regain our footing it requires additional effort but then this is also why hitting rock bottom most people say is the best thing that ever happened to them because suddenly when you hit rock bottom you're forced to really do the work and you really have to like exert yourself twice fold to get back to where you were perhaps 
And if you're the kind of person that is motivated and driven to do so, it can drive you to heights that you otherwise never would have been able to achieve had you not fallen down. It's like, you know, the times when I've fallen down and hit my own versions of rock bottom, it's like you are so fed up with yourself and frustrated and angry. And so you take all that emotional energy and you find a way to channel it into something that's positive. And then by the, t and because like all the resistance of all the crap that led you to the rock bottom, it like, it forces you to become a deeply strong person. So you're forced to, it becomes a sparring partner. Simple way to put it. Your adversity is your best teacher and your best sparring partner. And it trains you to become very, very strong. And then by the time you're able to like kind of clear most of it, suddenly you're like, whoa, I've mastered something. Even if it's not a tangible thing, even if it's just something like, not throwing a lamp across the room. Arguably, that's probably kind of tangible, but I think you get what I'm trying to refer to here. <laughs> Marcus Aurelius. These are the ca characteristics of the rational soul. Self-awareness, self-examination, self-determination. It reaps its own harvest. It succeeds in its own purpose. So, these are the characteristics of someone that has decided to utilize rationality over their animal instinct and to lead it to a place where self-awareness you know increases and gains where we are right choosing our destiny through control of our character and it reaps its own harvest in and of itself it is it is the goal achieved it's just to be a rational being it's not necessarily like we're trying to utilize the rationality so that we have like some goal to achieve, that we have something to obtain. It's just to be rational in and of itself, to be discerning, to not be impulsive, not be instinctual, to not be compulsory, to be like balanced and to act from a place of balance. That in and of itself is success everything else is kind of just like icing on the cake marcus aurelius you have been formed of three parts i actually just want to go back to that last quote because that's, that's to, i'm just reflecting on what i was saying there the idea is like that if you can just look at yourself right now and say i am acting from rationality i am being self-aware self-determined and thinking about other people like you have succeeded in a way that like so many people have not been able to like what a valuable incredibly wonderful thing that is just to like reorient our sense of success away from external achievements and wealth and fame and attention and things like that and oriented towards like i am able to like appropriately use discernment to control myself i have succeeded in life <laughs> That right there is like an important revelation. If you never really contemplate on that, you might still be struggling with the idea of like, why have I not accomplished anything worthwhile in the world? Because just think about all the people who have accomplished magical, epic, amazing things. Like the first person that comes to my mind was like Michael Jackson. People love Michael Jackson. I was in India in Jaipur and I was walking down the street and Jaipur is like this city, like 3 million people in Rajasthan in the desert. And it's kind of like in my mind, middle of nowhere, although it's a pretty big tourist place. But I'm just like walking down the street somewhere. It's like 
nothing fancy or touristy. And this dude sees me and he just looks at me and he goes, Oh, Michael Jackson, number one. Yeah. And he like does this like um John Travolta type um uh Saturday night fever <laughs> And you think like, wow, Michael Jackson has reached the people of Jaipur, India. Everywhere, all over the world is love. Amazing, incredible things. But would we be fair to say that he failed in behaving and acting in a rational, discerning way and in a way where he was able to be in a place of equanimity and reap the benefits of that own harvest? I would say probably not. And just something important to reflect upon, like how we reorient ourselves towards what is successful based off of real wisdom or culturally inherited concepts that we need to let go of. So you could reach people all over the world and do amazing things and make millions of dollars and be super successful as an artist and express yourself in this incredible way that everyone wants to see it. And you might find yourself totally tormented on the inside because you haven't cultivated these characteristics of the rational soul. All right, Marcus Aurelius, you have been formed of three parts, body, breath, and mind. Of these, the first two are yours insofar as they are only in your care. The third alone is truly yours. So the body and the breath are only yours so long as they're in your care, but there's moments where it's taken away. Uh, I imagine when you're being tortured and waterboarded, that might be a pretty good example of when that would be happening not that that's like a funny situation but just extreme things tend to make me laugh so uh but your mind how you cultivate your mind how you treat what's happening in the inner space how you clean the house there as ryan holiday talks here it's like how do we how do we treat that area that's the real area of our controls our own mind everything else is limited control or illusionary control marcus aurelius just as when meat or other foods are set before us we think this is a dead fish a dead bird or pig and also this fine wine is only the juice of a bunch of grapes this purple-edged robe just sheep's wool dyed in a bit of blood from a shellfish or of sex, that it is only rubbing private parts together followed by a spasmic discharge. In the same way, our impressions grab actual events and permeate them, so we see them as they really are. So this is kind of a funny passage, right? Just saying, all that sex is, is we're just rubbing our private parts together and there's a spasmic discharge. <laughs> so, how do we put things on a pedestal? Can we take those things down? Like This is just, it's petty stuff, like talking about the purple edged robe because purple was very hard dye to get i guess as he says here it's a bit of blood from a shellfish that's how they would make the color purple back then so it was very difficult to get so if you had a purple robe it's like oh wow you know it's a very important person status and all this kind of thing hierarchy but he's just saying like what is it it's just like it's blood from a thing that just the creature lives in the water it's really like it doesn't mean anything at all it's totally worthless you know fine wine is just juice from some grapes so being a a reductionist 
to try to like get to the real essence of things like break things down around you like what is it that's that we are putting so much authority in and so much power in and giving away our power to both people places and things and ideas how can we strip away all these concepts and just come to what is actually deeply essential and understand like these things are just silly a lot of the time makes you kind of think of like the emperor uh was the emperor has no clothes that kind of thing the whole premise of like there's the emperor walking naked and has no clothes but everyone around him is like oh wow the emperor's clothes are so beautiful <laughs> you know this idea of like mass hypnosis like things that we value are only put in that place because someone maybe conditioned us to and when we take off the blinders of conformity and mass hypnosis and cultural dogma and delusion, you might see, like, there's nothing there. It's totally worthless. That guy doesn't even have any pants on. What do you mean? His clothes. He's naked. Come on. And just like, you know, things hidden in plain sight. That's another great phrase. Just reflect what he's talking about here. This idea of, like, you're chasing something that just doesn't matter. It doesn't exist even in the way that you think it does reduce it to what it actually is and uh here right ryan holiday mentions the word money and that makes me think and i don't know if i mentioned this on the last podcast but there's that uh or if it was on the last time i attempted to record the content of these quotes that i'm recording now as i mentioned I, I did it earlier and then deleted it accidentally but there's that great movie called i think it's the, the kiss of the serpent something like that it's a colombian film it looks like a documentary film but it's not it's a you know it's a fictitious film and it's black and white it's a guy goes down to drink ayahuasca or something with the shaman in colombia he's a doctor and he tries to give the shaman money and the shaman just laughs at him and says money like what good is that the only antsy that stuff what am i gonna do with it <laughs> it's coming back again to the same premise right when the earth is scorched all the animals are dead they can't drink the air the water breathe the air eat the food there's no plants left you realize at that moment you no longer that you cannot live off money you can't eat money you can't drink money it's worthless it's it's fictitious paper the entire economical system the whole thing is just like it's a con game so don't get caught up in these things you might need to participate to some degree but just to look past it and to see like what actually matters in your life Marcus Aurelius if anyone can prove and show to me that I think and act in error I would gladly change it for I seek the truth by which no one has ever been harmed the one who is harmed is the one who abides in deceit and ignorance so it's a very humbling statement to be made by a politician huh <laughs> definitely not really the mo of donald trump if anyone can prove and show me that i think an act in error i would gladly accept it definitely not a common phrase to be heard humility like in understanding that what he's looking for is not self-aggrandizement he's not looking to prove that he's the one who knows he's just trying to say i'm looking for truth and i have faith that in my search for truth i will find solace and refuge and only the one who abides in ego and deceit and ignorance and delusion that one will be harmed right they're going to miss the mark they're going to be the ones 
caught out to sea without a raft or something like that. The one who seeks refuge in truth will be protected from the waves and the currents of life. I think that's an important thing for us to remember. Just like when someone criticizes us or proves us wrong, there's even if we're like open to this practice and philosophy, there's still that part of us instinctually and animalistic that wants to say, like, no, I was right. You know, and even if it's something ridiculous like which country produces the highest amount of grain or something like that, and you look it up and it turns out you're wrong, and you're like super angry about it. But you you know you, you play it cool because you know you're stoic. <laughs> Marcus Aurelius, when your sparring partner scratches or headbutts you, you don't then make a show of it or protest or view him with suspicion or as plotting against you. And yet you keep an eye on him, not as an enemy or with suspicion, but with a healthy avoidance. You should act this way with all things in life. We should give a pass to many things with our fellow trainees. For as I said, it's possible to avoid without suspicion or hate. Hmm. So, this idea that when we enter into the battlefield of life, things are going to happen. We're going to get hurt. People are going to do things. The closer we get to people, the more they're going to quote-unquote hurt us. So with your spouse, with your children, with your friends, with your coworkers, these are the people that are going to be your quote-unquote sparring partners. That's the perfect expression of a sparring partner is the person who's closest to you. And it's up to us to not become super dramatic when things get messy because life is inherently messy. Sparring is a messy practice. I can tell you from sitting here right now with a fracture in my knee and a torn MCL that it is certainly a messy practice. But I can't look at the person, according to Marcus here, that from a position of like hatred or suspicion you know you like oh like they meant to do that because the reality is when you when you agree to enter into the battlefield of life or a sparring environment in martial arts you are agreeing to get involved with difficult things and only a complete fool would expect to walk away from there totally without any pain or difficulty or struggle or conflict you're intentionally entering into conflict. So understanding, right, that like we're all learning and that we have to have forgiveness. We have to like understand sometimes we overstep things because the heat of the moment, right? And like to give people grace and 